Good evening, my name is Ale Schernitzel. My, uh, my uh, guest tonight is Dr. E. Michael Jones, a gooder as, as, as I call him. Thanks, Dr. Jones, for accepting my invitation. It's been a while. Yes, you're welcome. Good to be here. Thank you. Um, Twitter, Twitter has got a new has got a new CEO, um, a new Leita uh, in in Deutsche Wörter, uh, and he's an Indian. And uh, before we started uh, we started this stream, I said we could discuss of whether. Um, this this Indian is of a kind that is better or worse than uh, than the kind of an Indian the uh, Nash de Souza is would uh, would have been better for for free speech and for us uh, a more free spirited um, um, and free thinking people if uh, a new CEO of Twitter would have been the Nash de Souza and not this Indian. Well, we don't know uh, about, I don't know anything personal about this Indian, but I know the uh, in Indians were uh, hired by big corporations uh, throughout the United States because they were cheap labor. And uh, I had, so I know people have had experience uh, working with them and, and uh, they basically are there uh, to do what they're told. That, that's that's the difference between uh, the Indian workforce and the American workforce, or the American workforce as it was. So if you go to India, you'll find that uh, they uh, it's the cheap labor capital of the world, or it aspires to be the cheap labor capital of the world. That's a race to the bottom. But uh, you'll find that there are women there who, who uh, have bowls of dirt on their head. Uh, they will walk from a, a pile of uh, a hole in the ground and they'll dump the dirt and walk over and, and they do this all day. So they, 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 haven't, they haven't discovered the wheelbarrow yet in India. But these people are from the, the high tech uh, sector of the economy. There are a lot of uh, outsourcing uh, being done in uh, uh, Bangalore. It's one of the big centers of high tech in India. And the result is you're bringing people who have none of the experience of growing up in America, for example, uh, with none of the um, culture of the America, the little that we have, uh, the idea of being a, an independent agent. It's all alien to these people. Uh, uh, for the most part, there are exceptions, of course. But uh, the problem is uh, these people are now taking over from the generation of Jack Dorsey. Jack Dorsey was a Catholic from St. Louis. Uh, who cr created Twitter, got very successful, and he became a kind of guru. He grew a long beard, and now he's disappeared. Uh, so it, it's not a good sign. Uh, there was always this willingness to do the bidding of the oligarchs uh, early on, even when Jack uh, Dorsey was there, and now it looks as if it's going to be even worse because I think this man who just became the CEO was previously head of the enforcement arm at Twitter, which meant uh, punishing uh uh, inappropriate speech. So it only looks as if it's going to get worse now. But what kind of it, mentality is it of these oligarchs that would uh, rather have um, no discussions at all or quasi-discussions or than, than to have a, a, this uh, free-spirited um, global country of 
grown men discussing, uh, debating, dialoguing with each other. Why, why would they want such a world where they there were there wouldn't be for any grown man able to be their opponent, their verbal, intellectual opponents? Well, I think uh, they they become uh, uh, they have the CEO mentality. Uh, which is basically, uh, they, they are the founder and they are the CEO. And these are in many ways two conflicting uh, job descriptions. The founder is a guy who has a vision. Suddenly the guy uh, with the vision realizes his product really took off. He made a lot of money. And then as soon as you make a lot of money, you attract the attention of the thought control people who are working for the oligarchs. And they make it clear that these are the terms upon which you have to succeed. Uh, and so, therefore, at that point, you have to make a decision. Uh, do I continue with my vision and then have to fight these people? Or do I cash out like a CEO, get with my golden parachute? And I think that the temptation to cash out is, is very per pervasive. So uh, another guy, the guy who basically took over after Twitter uh, went in this direction, became an enforcement arm of the oligarchic speech, was Andrew Torba, who created Gab. Uh, and Gab immediately came under fire uh, because uh, Andrew Torba started to offer some type of resistance. Uh, the culmination of this came about a year ago when uh, uh, Mother Jones, which used to be a left-wing magazine, did an expose of Andrew Torba uh, based on hacked emails. Now, first of all, this is why is this legitimate? This is not legitimate journalism. This is theft. But anyway, uh, so at this point, we read the Mother Jones article, and we're I'm reading down here, and I'm thinking, well, wait, what's the big deal here? It doesn't sound the emails don't sound that incriminating. And then suddenly, the smoking gun. We find the smoking gun. The smoking gun is the fact that uh, Andrew Torba. In a conversation with Roosh, uh, Roosh V, the former pickup artist, said, yeah, I know E. Michael Jones. And Roosh said, yeah, he helped me break a bad habit. And Andrew Torpa said, yeah, I'm, I, I agree with you. Something like that. In other words, I'm the smoking gun. This is the whole point of it is that you talk to me. He talked, to, he talked about me in a positive way, which was a thought crime. And that, as a result, he should be banned. Well, Andrew Torba took the opposite tack that uh, Jack Dorsey took. He, when when the story came out, Andrew Torba doubled down and said, uh, "Yeah, I said that, and there's no reason why I shouldn't say that." And we believe in free speech, and therefore, Jones will always have a platform here. Well, that was the wrong thing to say. He shouldn't have said that. So the next day, the attack uh, intensified. And um, the governor of Texas, uh, who had, a week before had announced that anyone who was deplatformed was welcome in Texas, suddenly stand, gives a press conference and says, Gab is not welcome in Texas. Wait a minute. What's going on here? You got the right wing governor of texas you got the left-wing magazine mother jones what's the common denominator well look behind the governor of texas when he said this it's the israeli flag that's the whole point here that's exactly what happened and that's what you know that's the story here it's that simple
Yeah, here's a common Doris. He got ousted by a Jewish J. Sorry, uh, by a German investor activist, Pazinga, who became to be the majority shareholder of Twitter. Keith Woods made a good video on it. Um, yeah, I think I saw it. Yeah, Singer Singer's a vulture capitalist uh, who was a big supporter of uh, Donald Trump, and he's one of the me three men responsible for Trump uh, uh, overturning the Iran nuclear agreement. So he's so he uses money to buy up these operations, and then he uses the leverage when he gets the shares to basically di dictate policy. So we're back at the same story here. This may get you banned again from Twitter, but you've got this Jewish control of the narrative, and everybody's struggling against it, and uh, the, the, it sort of hangs in the balance right now. We actually, I can tell you another story that's uh, relevant. It's like breaking news. Just happened uh, yesterday, the day before. Uh, uh, the HBO Max just brought out a new series. It's called Santa Incorporated, and it's this. It's a stop action uh, uh, cartoon uh, based on Santa and the elf. The elf is voiced by Sarah Silverman, and Santa is voiced by Seth Rogen, and it's it's supposed to be funny. Uh, but uh, basically what it is, is getting Santa. See how many times you can get Santa to say fuck. Or how many times can you get that elf to say fuck? And that's Jewish humor. And so they put up the trailer on YouTube and immediately the trailer gets 25,000 dislikes. Okay. At this point, YouTube uh, cu cuts the dislike button. No more dislikes. You're not allowed to dislike this anymore. And then the comments start. And all the comments are talking about how, uh, you know, the elves were kicked off of 109 shelves. And uh, every time they get kicked off, they engage in elfocentrism. And so this hilarious meme started coming out, uh, ba uh, uh, basically undermining the whole. In other words, what is the what is the comments? Twenty five thousand comments or something along these lines. And everyone is saying, basically, these Jews are ridiculing Christmas and we're not allowed to object. If we object to this Jewish mockery of Christmas, we are bad people. What I'm saying here is this control, they have absolute control, but they can only come up with things that antagonize people and make the situation worse. And that's precisely what happened with, with Santa Inc. Yeah, I have to tell you an anecdote. I um, I went to work and I I'm always um, I always come one hour too early because I can't calculate how far I have to to, to drive to work and I uh, I wrote a, a, a I retweeted Seth Rogen's uh, um, tweet uh, Seth Rogen tweeted uh, we sure pissed off many. White uh, white supremacist with our uh, Santa Inc. and I, I I retweeted and and wrote a tweet. Um, Seth, we sure pissed off white uh, whites, and then also Seth, um, uh, uh, you are against us if you if you claim we pissed off uh, whites, uh, and I got banned from. Twitter. I got uh, cancelled. It could be coincidence, but immediately afterwards, I uh, I got locked out of my Twitter account, and that was it. I 
they haven't been right. able to. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. So, so if you if you object to Jewish cultural subversion at, of Christmas, for example, or Jewish transgressive behavior, like having Santa uh, say those words all the time, you're a bad person. And so it's time that we, I think it's time that we formulated the fundamental principle of Jewish psychology here. And it, it comes, it turns out it's, it's, uh, uh, it's been captured by a Polish proverb. So the Polish proverb is basically the Jew cries out in pain as he strikes you. The Jew cries out in pain as he strikes you. I think that's what, what's going on here. They attack everything. They attack what you believe. And then they blame you for not liking their attack on what you believe. Uh, and this is, this is the situation we're in. But the problem here is it is not working anymore. The, 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 the reception, the overwhelming negative reception of Santa Inc., uh, is just proving that they can have all the money in the world, they can have all the control of the media in the world, but the message they're putting out is so obnoxious and so self-refuting that it's bringing about the exact opposite of what they intend. That's the situation we're in right now. Yeah, I've noticed they they, they even uh, managed to achieve to um, to reach towards uh, neo-pagans who are basically against Christianity as a part of European identity, and even they start started to be critical towards Jews because of their uh, their uh, meaningless, uh, absurd critiques or, or, or their relationship towards towards Christianity. Um, it's, it's 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 moral moral reversal. In other words, they accuse you of what they do. That's and, and so yeah. there's a, a, another another recent example is uh, Mr. Borla. Mr. Borla is the head of Pfizer, which is the uh, pharmaceutical company that is manufacturing the, the vaccine. Mr. Borla gives us a speech in which he announces that anyone who disagrees with his vaccine is a criminal. Well, now, wait a minute. That, that, that's that's pretty strong, strong statement. What's he saying here? Well, look down at the com box after underneath his comment. Everyone says, "No, you're the criminal. You're the criminal." So the the the, the Jew Borla, he cries out in pain as he poisons you with his vaccine. He's the criminal. He's reversing what uh, this is the, the the moral reversal that is the fundamental basis of of uh, Jewish psychology. Accuse the accuse the victim of being the perpetrator. Um, how, how's the situation been now in 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 the states in Slovenia? We have a this funny funny situation where. We have this so-called mainstream um, right-wing, uh, even semi-Christian um, party uh, um, that is in charge of our government uh, right now, and and their their fans that are brutally, uh, basically um, promoters of of of, uh, of vaccines, which is 
even even against their 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 uh, their lords, uh, which are American mainstream right wingers, which are at least moderately against vaccines. If I if I uh, observe this accurately, uh, what description of of current situation in 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 the states um, in relationship towards vaccines? Well, the, the the main representative, the main enforcer of vaccines is uh, President Joe Biden, which means that the Republicans are automatically going to be against him. For, uh, there's also the aura of illegitimacy behind his election. He's also bungled many different things, including the, uh, the evacuation out of Afghanistan. He's just uh, struggling along. This is his, it, it, from a position of weakness, he's now trying to assert some type of position of strength by mandating uh, the vaccine. As soon as he did that, there was a kind of reaction, uh, natural reaction from the Republicans, but it's also a regional reaction because the states now are becoming very important because they can resist the federal mandate. So uh, 21 states uh, filed suit in court uh, against the federal mandate, and the court sided with those 21 states, and so it got postponed. It, it didn't. It didn't get enforced. The second thing is that there was the the occupational safety and hazardous uh, group uh, that talks about that uh, sets the rules for the workplace. Biden tries to use the OSHA man, OSHA as a way of imposing the mandate. The courts overturned that as well. So he's had two big setbacks, and this is energized. Uh, the regional opposition to to COVID. So it's going to break down into basically two different Americas. I think this is inevitable. Uh, and it's the, the, the one decision that is looming, which will probably codify this resurrection of state rights, is the abortion decision, which is coming out of the state of Mississippi. I think the Supreme Court is going to uphold the Mississippi law which said basically that they can restrict abortion. At that point, 21 other states will immediately put those type of laws into action, and you will have, in effect, the de facto end of basically this unified American culture or uh, the, the, the great achievement of television after World War II was the solidification of federal power over the entire country. They've gone too far with abortion. They should have never done that. That was a Jewish initiative from New York City. Bernard Nathanson said that. He was one of the main promoters of abortion. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was the one of the main proponent of that idea on the Supreme Court. She's dead, and that idea died with her. And so now it's going to go back to states' rights, and I think that's what we're going to see, is states' rights will now become the new norm in America. So if you want to go have an abortion, go to New York. Uh, go to California. But you're not going to get one in Mississippi or Indiana or places like that. There will be states that will make, basically make it illegal. That's going to be the new normal, and it's going to have an effect also on – COVID in, uh, implementation, and COVID implementation is simply another form of oligarchic control. So I, I think what you're seeing in the United States is reaction, local reaction to oligarchic control. Mm, they're, they're making this, uh, in Slovenia, they're making this, uh, in my opinion, perverse distinction between 
between mandatory and enforced, they're saying mandatory is not the same as enforced. You're just, you, you, you just won't be able to eat anymore or drink right, you're, you're perfectly free to resist. You'll just starve to death because you're not allowed to buy food. That's all. It's your choice. One, one guy said, sure, you can die. That's your choice. Well, great. Thank you. I, I'm glad we have a choice in this matter. This is preposterous. This is just a word games. This is playing semantic games. It's enforcing. The question is, do the uh, politicians in Slovenia represent the Slovenian people? Or are they proconsuls of the oligarchs whose job is to enforce the oligarchic rules upon subject peoples and the Slovenian people being subjects to the oligarchs? Which is it? Which is it? Well, it, it's obvious that uh, they're representatives of, of this globalist enforcers of, of vaccines. Uh, it's what's really perverse, perverted about it is that they were for 30 years this party of called sds for, for our current prime minister Yanis Janša. they presented themselves as patriots even mellow nationalists and so forth they they were the party of the the slovene people and so forth um but in the last at least two years they uh, they sure they sure showed their real faces. Uh, they are um, the puppets of, of the, the the elves. So is, is Slovenia a, a, a vassal state uh, to Germany, a vassal state to Austria? How does this work? Uh, how because you're a member of the European Union, what does that mean? Slovenia has been for for years, decades, maybe even centuries of vessels. Okay, it's more accurately to say at least for 50 years, it's been some sort of a, of a vessel state of Austria and Germany and so forth. Because even in Yugoslavia, you had many Slovene workers going to work uh, as Gastarbeiters in, in, in Germany and, uh, and Austria. But after 91, of course, Slovenia is was and has been economically a vassal state of, of Germany. It's, we have a tiny little part of our sovereign sovereign economy. Um, the, the majority of it is is dependent on on German economy. And uh, as um, speaking about the vaccines and the whole situation about the vaccines, we uh, we are total vassal state of, of Germany and Austria. Uh, Slovenes often often say, look, look the way it is in Germany and Austria. The Germans and Austrians have always been some sort of um, idols of, of Slovenes as, as in countries where, where righteousness rules and, and, and so forth. And, all right, there, yeah. there's there's a certain element here. It's like I got into trouble once uh, talking about uh, Bosnia Herzegovina. I said Bo Bosnia Herzegovina is not a it's not a state. It's too small to be a state. It can't have any real uh, independence. Okay, so we're right, we're going to have to accept the fact 
Okay, Slovenia is is is, is a small country. Okay, but what was its status? Let's say under the Austro-Hungarian Empire, what was their status then? Yeah, you said it good about the, the the Bosnia and the same, and it is in my opinion the same with Slovenia. That's why, for example, in 1918, where uh, we, till 1918 Slovenia was in Austro-Hungarian Empire, and then it stepped out and. Um, went into some sort of uh, state of Serbs, Croats and, 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 and Slovenes that later became Yugoslavia. And the alternative was never independent, sovereign Slovenia, as it seems to be today. And it even today isn't sovereign. It's far from being right. sovereign. It was always be, between uh, being a part of uh, German uh, uh, Slavic uh, uh, middle um, uh, middle Europe um, monarchy or state, or going down the the rabbit hole or becoming a shit hole together with Croats and Serbs. It was always only these two alternatives for for Slovenes. Although some people say that if we stayed in in this. Uh, space with german culture that we uh, nowadays that we wouldn't uh, speak slovene anymore but it is a lie uh, in austro-hungary every uh, every single part of austro-hungary had it, its own language and they could speak it right the fact that you had austro they called it the austro-hungarian empire was obvious it was obvious that uh, if you spoke Hungarian, you were not part of the uh, Ger German uh, language sphere. Obviously yeah. not. <coughs> no. The, I think that because it was a Catholic monarchy, the Austro-Hungarian Empire understood subsidiarity in a way that the European Union doesn't. It should have, it, it, it should be a principle, it should be a principle in the United States of America as well. <coughs> If, if there was supposed, there was a difference between Virginia and Massachusetts at the founding of this country. Virginia was the Cavaliers; they were uh, Anglicans. The the, um, the Massachusetts were the descendants of the Puritans, who were the Regicides, and so they could never resolve that issue. Even though they're all Englishmen, they all spoke English, they and they were all Protestants in some sense or other. They knew that they were so different. So let's just let them be separate. And we'll try and unify, have unity and multiplicity, which is a noble principle. It's the principle of aesthetics. And they tried it. And uh, once America embarked upon the road of empire, uh, which certainly happened after World War II, that whole idea went down the drain. And so you had to have, uh, after you drafted 11 million men in fighting the war in Europe, everyone had to have this uniform culture imposed on them. All yep. I'm saying is it's, it's breaking down. It's not going. To, it's not going to last. They're going to have to go back to the original principle. The same thing will have to happen eventually with the European Union because it's it's one thing to say you're a vassal state of Germany, but Germany is a vassal state of the United States of America. So you're the vassal of a vassal. Yeah. That's not going. That's not going to work out. That's not the worst situation. And I, I know this fairly well because I lived in Germany. I sp I speak German. Uh, uh, is the, the situation that social the American social engineering created in Germany. 
after World War II. And we are living, we are still living in the aftermath of that creation. That, because that, the fundamental myth of the American empire is the Holocaust. And that myth has had devastating effect on America. It has led to the Jewish hegemony over our culture. And even worse than that, it has led to Jewish hegemony over the Catholic Church, which is something that we could probably talk about as well uh, here. Yeah. And it's probably even worse in this Germanic uh, area, because I think- what, what, German- Once you understand, once you understand the, the, the central myth of the American empire, obviously the worst place in the world is going to be Germany. It's the worst place in the world because that is the place where the people have internalized the commands of their oppressors because of social engineering. Yeah, they lock up grandmas there because they they doubt the the central myth of our civilization. Um, Last week I started working and some co-worker in Austria asked me, okay, what did you do before? And I said, hey, yeah, I worked for many years as a, as a journalist. I'm a philosopher. And he asked me what kind of, jur- uh, of a journalist I was. And um, a couple of days ago, I told him, I explained him the whole situation, why uh, I, I got banned and um, why I got canceled and so forth. And he just couldn't understand why I would hold such uh, such um, um, such thoughts. I told him I told him uh, that I think the Austrians have a right to to be against me as a Slovene coming into their country as a as an immigrant worker. I'm not saying that I would like for them to uh, to to, um, to have these beliefs or. or to, to enforce that, but I'm just saying they have the right to say they don't want Slovenes as the immigrants there. Um, but they just can't understand this uh, at all. This is too subtle for them. They're, they're just thinking in, 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 in this vague globalistic uh, terms, and this is the only language these people, uh, the common folk, uh, understand although some are at least against vaccines that is a good part yeah i saw demonstrations in vienna i don't know where they're going to do it. i also saw pictures of police going through department stores in uh vienna uh your papers please it's like right out of a, a nazi movie here uh the the soldiers are now asking for your papers i also saw a sign uh the uh, the, Jew- the jewish star of david the yellow patch and instead of Yuda in there, it has unvaccinated in there. <laughs> so uh, this, uh, uh, what we're seeing is the uh, irony here of Germany imposing on its own people the very regime that they claim that they're against. This is this is stunning how the the, the blindness uh, of of these people. So Angela Merkel. Uh, in her farewell address, said, we have to fight against hate. (laughs) What are you talking about, Angela? What do you mean by hate? First of all, why did she say this? Well, because she's a puppet of the people who uh, think that 
hate speech is something that uh, they don't like. Anything they don't like is called hate speech, and she's their puppet. And this is the regime that's now in force in Germany, and they are going to enforce that on everybody in the European Union. Probably. Um, from the point of view of a of Slovenia who knows how how dependent Slovenia is from Germany, I uh, I'm appalled of the fact that we haven't had this kind of law yet that would uh, that would uh, lock us up for saying something against against the Jews. But it's coming, but it's coming. At least I was uh, I wasn't locked up. Maybe I will be, but at least I was told. I've been totally cancelled. I cannot, cannot use Twitter. I cannot use Facebook. Facebook, and yet some semi left wing, semi right wing media called reporter calls me still calls me fascist or 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 or, or whatever. After all this time, after all the facts that's showing that I am not the one trying to enforce anything upon anybody. anybody I'm just trying to discuss and make conversations like we have now. They're still calling me a fascist. I, I'm not a priori against fascism if it would be defined properly. I'm against fascism as uh, as they use it. They use it as a pejorative, of course. Uh, uh, when they call me fascist, they mean I kill small people and women or rape women or whatever they mean by, by yeah. such terms. Uh, 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 Michel Foucault called it a floating signifier, which means it can be used uh, in any situation to basically demonize anybody you don't like and stop the conversation and start up another conversation after you've been silenced. That's what it means. Uh, there are lots of people who understand that now. There are Germans who understand it. And you've got this two, these two forces that are colliding in Germany. On the one hand, you've got this rising sense of consciousness. And on the other hand, every time the consciousness rises, it causes repression. The more consciousness rises, the more repressive the government has to become. The more repressive the government becomes, the more people realize, hey, this must be true. That's why they're repressing it. I don't, I don't know how. And, and, and now COVID has entered uh, the equation. Uh as a way of putting an end to all discussion, an excuse to put an end to all discussion. So in, in Australia, which is probably the worst place in the world in this regard, they actually have concentration camps. They have concentration camps where for the unvaccinated. Wait a minute. Why are you have, this is quarantine. Why are you putting people who are not sick into quarantine? That makes no sense from a medical point of view. You only put sick people in quarantine until they get over their disease and then you release them. Now you're putting healthy people in quarantine. This gives me to believe that we're not talking about medicine anymore. We are talking about the use of medicine as a form of social control and as a way of breaking down all of what is left of representative government. And so by the end, I think the end game is clear from the oligarch's point of view. Government will now become a totally top-down operation where the politicians will enforce the edicts of the oligarchs on subject people, and that means on the entire world. That's what, that is de facto, I mean, basically it was, it was on its way of hap to happening in the United States, 
Uh, I think that is what has happened in the European Union. It's the end of representative government. That's why and that's how America can have a president with an Alzheimer gone too far. You, you don't you basically don't need a president anymore. No, no, he's just carrying out orders uh, from someone else. So you had the, the situation, uh, uh, a graphic representation of that is Senator Ted Cruz from Texas uh, in, in uh, questioning Dr. Fauci and indicating that Fa Dr. Fauci is uh, uh, may have done something wrong. And at this point, Fauci just laughs at him. Uh, the, 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 the idea that a senator could threaten Dr. Fauci is completely laughable. And he said, well, what about January 6th? As if to put the, you know, do the moral reversal thing. And you're the one who's the criminal. You're the one who's the criminal because you are threatening me. This is the state of representative government right now. You would think that the senator would be more powerful than the bureaucrat, but it's completely reversed now. <coughs> Yeah, um, I don't know if you heard about. I don't even know her name, and I deliberately didn't look up about it. Uh, there's a member of European Commission that proposed um, the that that the the name Mary wouldn't be used anymore in in, in public conversations and in in in, in Europe at all and that uh, name Christmas should be banned and so forth or something like that. And this is a topic that mainstream right-wingers and so-called Christian Christian parties uh, debate now or, or uh, thematize right now. And although I think that all the mainstream right-wing parties are puppets of the globalists and so forth, and I do think that this topics come up only to antagonize people and to uh, to to get some naive Christians or right-wingers to vote for them after all they they done uh, they did the uh, last two years what, what do you think about this this, uh, this well we, we had some we had something similar here uh, in 2004 Bill O'Reilly was a popular pundit on Fox News and in December of 2004, he announced that there was a war on Christmas. War on Christmas. Okay? And this, it had been simmering before, and then it got kind of big. And all conservatives were all now talking about the war on Christmas. One week later, Pat Buchanan talked about it. And everybody was kind of getting energized. Yeah, this is not right, blah, blah, blah. But then you have to get down to the fact of, well, who's waging the war? Well, it was... Secularists. That's what that's what uh, uh, Bill O'Reilly said. Secularists. What do you mean by that? What, what do you mean by secularists? Can I look these people up in a phone book? Can you give me their names? <laughs> well, no, you can't because you, it's a category of your mind. And the whole point of conservatism is to create categories of the mind that uh, don't deal with the real issue. So it was about five years later, suddenly uh, David Duke comes up and says, well, no, it's not secularists, it's Jews. Uh, basically, the Jews have always been against Christmas from the very beginning. 
And once you say that, well, then you're no longer fit for polite company. But the problem is, if you don't say that, uh, you're going to lose the battle. And that's precisely what happened. So in the in the initial run up to this thing, Bill O'Reilly said, yeah, these people are the people who are promoting gay marriage and, and they're promoting uh, w women in the military and all this other type of stuff. And the people won't allow it. Well, they had no there was no resistance. We have gay marriage now. We got all of those things. And I think the main reason is because you couldn't identify the enemy. You couldn't identify the enemy. You couldn't say these are the people who are responsible for it. That changed with Santa Inc. Okay, <laughs> nobody said this. Yeah. Nobody said that this was a Jewish assault on Christmas. Nobody said that, but everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. As soon as you say Sarah Silverman, then they go through the list. Every, Virtually every single person associated with that series on HBO was Jewish. And suddenly it starts to make sense. And if you, and once they establish that, that, that film, that series is going to lose money. They're, 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 you can't go this way anymore because consciousness has made people aware of who the real actors are. Now that's dangerous for you to a certain extent. If you identify them, you may get punished. But the fact of the matter is that the, the movie failed. The people didn't fail. The movie failed. It got like a 1% approval rating. It's going to bomb. Nobody's going to, everybody hates it. Okay. Well, that's something they have to take note of. No one told them to do that. No one had the power to stop it, but everybody now has the power to understand who's doing it and, uh, and uh, talking about the real people who are doing it. And that's a setback for them. That, that's significant. Uh, this is an, this were two interesting commentaries. I wanted to ask you about your opinion about it. Uh, so Ahorn says, if the U.S. military in Western Europe will not help Ukraine threatened by U Russian invasion, it will not help Poland and the Baltic states in the event of war. Uh, Poland and Russia, from the point of view of a, a an American Catholic intellectual aware of all those things we've been talking about for for last half an hour and in many of our streams on one hand poland and and russia are some kind of enemies because of the the the, the history of the um, soviet union and and, and poland uh, on the other hand we have this american narrative that is always against Russia, whatever happens in the world. Russia should not take over Crimea. Russia should not uh, um, promote Lukashenko's ideas. Russia should do that. Russia should not do nothing at all. Uh, what's your stance about Putin and Russia and Poland and all this... Uh, um messed up messed up uh, narratives that that circle around right. uh, around these two countries the, the the achilles heel of poland is Rus russophobia there, there's just no no way to get around now i you know it's easy for me to say i'm an american the poles have had their history they're always in the middle between prussia on the one hand and russia on the other 
Poland was partitioned by those people, Prussia, Russia, and the Austro-Hungarian Empire <laughs> obliterated Poland. So I know their history, but it doesn't change the fact that it's it's it they're in a bad situation because of that. So I'm I'm in Poland. I'm doing the book tour for the Polish translation of Libido Dominandi. We're traveling around. I have the support of the Catholic hierarchy, and we are doing really well. Okay, big crowds wherever I go. Uh, months later, someone wrote to me when I was in Argentina and said, between you and the bishops, uh, you destroyed gay marriage in Poland. That's the recipe for success. So I'm on. I'm in Krakow, and I get sit down with uh, a Polish member of the European Union, and I said, the real issue here is you know, it's great that you have this cultural resistance to uh, gender ideology, but you got to get over this Russophobia. He put down the uh, his fork. We're eating lunch. Put down the fork. He looked at me. And there was a pause. He didn't say anything. And then I said, uh, and I said something about Putin. This sound puts down his fork and walks out. Okay, the food is still there on his plate. He left without finishing his meal because I said something positive about Putin. Well, the American intelligence knows this. They know about this Russophobia, and they're exploiting it. And this is the main cause of weakness in, in Poland right now. They have to be able to steer an independent course, and their Russophobia is preventing this. It's no different than in Estonia. Estonia is a much worse situation than Poland. It's a much smaller country, and thanks to Stalin, they have a huge Russian major, minority in Estonia that will not assimilate. I mean, part of the problem is the Estonian language. How many people speak Estonian? And, and the Estonians have every right to insist that the people who uh, go there learn their language. That's part of what go going there is. Well, the Russians aren't going to do it, and the Estonians are now stuck in, what are we going to do? I know. We'll join NATO. Well, that was a stupid move on their part because now you're antagonizing a group of people who will run over your country. And they won't even it won't even be a speed bump. They will just roll over Estonia with no basically no resistance because the United States of America is not going to die for Estonia. They're not going to do it. The same thing is true of of the Ukraine and this manufactured crisis. Now, there may be a war. It looks as if Russia is getting getting ready for a war. This is completely unnecessary. It was created by the United States, by, by Jews, neocons like Victoria Nuland, who were trying to expand uh, into NATO uh, and crush Russia, completely break it apart, as if as it would, the equivalent would be if the Russians showed up and tried to take Texas away or the Mexicans show up and try to take Texas away from the United States of America. That's what's going on there right now. It's not going to work. And the Poles need to wake up to this fact. Uh, whether they do or not, that's that's another question. Um, let's discuss a little bit about the, the, this um, claim and make it, try to make a distinction. On one hand, there's all this false and, uh, and evil narratives coming from CIA and America and the, 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 the elves uh, uh, about the Russia. Uh, on the other hand, there's, this, uh, there, there's Putin. 
I don't know if this is true. Uh, maybe you know Putin's mother is Jewish. Most Russian oligarchs are of Jewish descent. Maybe this is all true. But what does that mean? What does that in 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 take well, if, if it's for, if it's true? First of all, we have to go back to the the opportunity that the United States of America had when basically Russia basically ended the Cold War. That was a great opportunity for the United States of America. And what did the United States do? Or let's get more specific. What did Jeffrey Sachs do? Who is Jeffrey Sachs? He is the Jew who represents the oligarch financial interest. He shows up in Russia as the advisor to Boris Yeltsin, whose job is to stay drunk uh, uh, while in office so that Sachs and the Jewish oligarchs can loot the country. Okay, that that was a reality. And uh, Russia almost died. The, the, they were losing population. It was a catastrophe for Russia. And at that point, uh, Putin stepped in and made an arrangement. Now, it's, he had to make an arrangement with the oligarchs. And basically, he tried to say, tame the oligarchs. Some of the Jews, seven of the eight oligarchs were Jews. Okay, basically, Jeffrey Sachs had engineered the transfer of Russian wealth into the hands of eight rich Jews who then transferred it to Wall Street. And it was a huge looting operation. Okay, Putin put a stop to that. The oligarchs either had to accept him as the ruler or they had to leave. And some left and some accepted him, but he didn't put an end to it completely. This is, uh, in many ways, it's like the classic politician who has to deal with short-term issues and doesn't deal with the underlying problem. That's the situation that he's in. And in a, in a way, he tried to get along. And in a way, the, the problems still continue to the point where it looks as if we're on the brink of war because you didn't solve that problem. That, that That's the issue. So, I mean, yeah, it's messy. I, I think Putin should have made other decisions. Uh, but he did save the country from where from where it was heading under Boris Yeltsin. So, so we got to give him credit for that. Uh, I'm trying to play devil's advocate here because I'm uh, obviously uh, not a fool and a, a naive that would believe uh, American or Amero elf uh, narratives about Putin and Russia. But that... That said, could it, okay, we, we can give Putin a credit if we bear him to, to Yeltsin, but could it be that he is, uh, as some, someone commented just a moment, uh, someone said that he's a similar uh, white hat as, as, as Trump. Although he lasted for for he lasts he's still lasting he's still been lasting for for 10, 20 years now, could it be that he's a, a similar white hat as, as as Trump was for America? I think there's I think there's basis for comparison. I think you could uh, Trump was a, a nationalist. Uh, he antagonized the globalist elites. I think that's true. I think that Putin, as I described, was in some sense representing national interest. But both of these men felt that they had to make deals with the Jews in order to survive. 
maybe uh, I think uh, Yeltsin got a better deal than Trump. Uh, Trump was turned out to be totally in the pocket of the Jews who turned on him anyway. So I think it's uh, I think it's a fair comparison. Yeah. I, I <clears throat> lately I, I I became a member of a, a, a certain party in Slovenia, and I said if I ever came into politics, if I, if I ever came into parliament to be able to experience what you have to go through as a politician um, in charge, for example, I said that if I would have seen that there's no possibility at all to be sovereign without making, making um, deals with globalists and the, the elves, that I would immediately step down as a politician in charge and I would tell my people, turn off all the lights, it's impossible, we're not sovereign anymore. Uh, if, if, if it's of their will, we will, we will perish in a couple of years and that will, that will be all. This is what I said, this is how I think, but am I, am I naive and we need people that are that are that are that know all this stuff we've been talking about till now and yet are prepared to to make deals with jewish with elves and the globalists um, what do you think am i naive am i a naive well, I guy mean, let's 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 be honest uh slovenia is not the united states of america you're a yeah. small country. You're going. Are you big enough to uh, have create an army that's going to march into Austria and Germany and take it over? I, no, that's not going to happen. But the, can can you work? Is it possible to work out some type of deal, some type of legitimate deal that allows us some type of ethnic uh, autonomy? That should certainly be possible. What's the main bar? What's the main attack on ethnic? autonomy and local representation right now it's covid it's covid and, and the question uh, the point here is are these people the states now in the united states of america look they do not have an identity as strong as the slovenian people i guarantee you that but the states are now having to line up with the people to defend them against covid you would have to put this proposition to the people to the people and say look uh, can we have some type enough autonomy so that we can make decisions about our own health on our own without this being forced on us? Can you con convince the Slovenian people? Uh, it probably could that, that this is not medicine. This is basically social control and that therefore it's impermissible and then present that to some. Is there a reasonable alliance here for countries like Slovenia? You would think that the European Union should allow this type of uh, autonomy while at the same time being part of a bigger entity from which we can all pr prosper. But they, 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 the, the course of events has gone in the opposite direction. It turns out that the European Union is total totally tyrannical. It's more tyrannical than any predecessor in Europe that I can think of. It's certainly more tyrannical than the Austro-Hungarian Empire. They would have never interfered with your with your life this way. And yet here we have uh, the European Union putting rules on you that uh, no one has a right to impose. 
uh, <coughs> Rafael Ramirez uh, um, wrote, never compromise with Alps from the point of view of Slovenia. Um, yeah, a small country doesn't have a military power or a military at all. Uh, what can we do? What should we do? Is it, um, for example, this is my opinion. Again, I, I could be naive. Why do we need uh, why do we need our government at all if our government's being governed by by other governors um, from right. abroad? Uh, we could just have the the government from abroad, and right. these people that are called politicians they can just go work in a laga uh, the same way I, I work right now. You're absolutely right. If the if the Slovenian government does not represent the Slovenian people, it has no reason to exist. You have to make that clear to the politicians when you have these elections. It's a very simple question. Who do you work for? Do you work for the oligarchs or do you work for the Slovenian people? Which is it? You can't have it both ways. And, and this should be enough to the consciousness should be spreading now. The, the, the COVID will make this apparent to people in a way that it wasn't apparent before. I think that's the benefit of COVID. Now the, the, the iron fist is becoming apparent under the velvet glove. That was not apparent as apparent as it is now. So now the people have to make some type of choice, and you've got to propose that to them with a coherent uh, uh, explanation. And in order to do this, we have to be able to talk about Jewish influence because that's that controls Germany. <laughs> we they are living as a, in the, according to the narrative that was created after World War II. The Catholic Church is functioning according to the narrative that was created after World War II. That's the problem. We have to break out of this narrative and say, no, we're not going to go along with this. We're not going to give this people carte blanche to insult us, to rule us, to govern us behind the scenes, to control our politicians through their money and so on and so forth. We're aware we're not going to put up with it anymore. This consciousness has to become widespread. We have to be able to talk about it openly. And then at that point, we'll start to see uh, the effect of that consciousness in, in political life. Do, do you think the vaccines are, are harmful or is it only about the control and money? Well, there, there's, I sent you a link. There's a Slovenian lady who's now giving a lecture mm -hmm in which she's saying 30% of the vaccines are placebos, 30% are to keep people under control, and 30% are to exterminate people. Now, that's that's an interesting thesis because it would explain. So let's say when the Pope or Joe Biden gets vaccinated, it's a placebo because they don't want to have him drop dead two days after he got his vaccine. That's never going to happen. But on the other hand, we have um, uh, uh, soccer players uh, in Europe, uh, 25 years old, in the peak of health, dropping dead on the field after they get vaccinated. What are those? What's that story about? So, so at this point, we're, we're speculating uh, about uh, the the things we don't know because we don't know what they put into the vaccines, and they're not going to tell us. Uh, Pfizer said they're going to wait 55 years before they release any statistics on these vaccines. 
So it's obvious at this point that it's it's more it's more than just more than just medicine. But exactly what it is is something we're going to have to we're going to have to react based on imperfect knowledge, which is fairly certain at this point. So basically, the, the last year, I think at this time, uh, everyone achieved herd immunity throughout the world. All of the COVID cases were going down. And at that point, the vaccine started to kick in. And now we're starting to see uh, places like Gibraltar, 100% vaccinated and COVID outbreak. And now as there's actually correlations, the higher the vaccination rate, the higher the COVID uh, outbreak. And they're trying to disguise this by saying, oh, it's the Omicron variation. It used to be the Delta variation. These are all, no, it's the same thing. It's basically the same thing. And what you've done is compromise the immune system of the people who've gotten the vaccines. I think this narrative is becoming clear now. I think we can start uh, to realize that there is some type of general acceptance now of this counter narrative that uh, people can act on. Um, it seems that, that there, uh, there have been created two groups of people everywhere around the world now. There are the ones that still believe in, 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 in science and um, authorities, institutions, scientific institutions and so forth, scientific representatives. Uh, um, and there are people that have become and are becoming increasingly um, suspectful or skeptical about all, all of this, uh, uh, so about the scientific institutions, scientific interlocutors, scientific um, promoters, and so forth. About this second group, how, how can we even get on to live our, our lives in a society if, if such a thing exists without without having any trust in in, in, in those institutions anymore and it, it's irreparable it's irreparable isn't it well they, I mean if you're talking about empires uh, I think that the, the the Bible tells us the book of Daniel, tells us that they rise and they fall. Vico said the same thing. You know, it's a natural phenomenon. Everything that is natural grows, reaches a point of its height, and then it declines. And I think that's what we're seeing with the American empire right now. The question is, uh, are we going to be able to have some type of peaceful transition to a post-American empire world, or is it going to be violent? And I think that the uh, Mr. Lavrov is saying there's a real danger of war here. I mean, a real danger now of war in Europe after all of these years of peace because these people are simply pressing, uh, pressing too far. They're they're determined to hold on to their advantage, uh, even if it means, you know, holding on to the steering wheel as they drive the car off the cliff. Uh, okay. Um... Last question, question, basically, about the latest uh, race baiting in America. Although I suspect that all this is being, has been a show trying to antagonize the people with two kinds of actors playing their roles. For example, mainstream conservative, mainstream progressives. Um, 
one ones are for for blacks and the others are for for whites I'm not telling that um, what do you think what's your opinion about the Rittenhouse case and and all the other cases of, of that turn into 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 race baiting uh, between uh, the two mainstream political forces um, I I made joke before we started the stream that there there were so many so many germans involved german elves involved in in the rittenhouse case uh and i and, and i and i and i read somewhere that many americans progressive leftists that read only new york times washington post and so forth that they believe that rittenhouse killed three or two uh black people um and uh, he basically killed three germans what's your opinion about it i think i think the the uh the rittenhouse verdict was a a vindication of the american judicial system there was a a, a lynch mob the media had created a lynch mob uh that was going to go after that wanted him convicted And you could see they're basically standing out the courthouse hanging with a, a, a noose ready to hang this guy. And the judge stood up to that pressure and ensured that there was a fair trial and he got he got acquitted in spite of all the media pressure. That's that's the type of resistance that has to take place if the system is going to survive. That's the type of it's going to come down to uh, one courageous man who is willing to stand up for justice, which is based on the moral law. The opposite, I think, is happening now with the G. Lane uh, Maxwell trial. This judge is a is a Jewish lesbian. Uh, it's like the attorney general of uh, Michigan, another Jewish lesbian. Okay, now why why is why am I saying this? Uh, other than isn't this a sign that I'm an awful bigot? Well, let's just focus on the lesbian part. I just said that that judge in the Rittenhouse case had to stand up for justice and he had to have based because just and understand that justice is based on the moral law. If you're a lesbian, you are in active rebellion against the moral law. Okay? You were hired you were appointed to be a judge because you were a lesbian, because you are Uh, in active rebellion against the moral law, which means you will not have the moral fiber to stand up against pressure. That's the problem. That's, so that, tri that trial is going to be a cover-up of powerful people. Nothing is going to happen to the powerful people who were involved uh, with the uh, Jeffrey Epstein uh, Lolita Express Uh, exploitation of underage girls. Nothing's going to happen because that judge is not going to stand up for justice. That's the fundamental issue right now in our legal system. It was vindicated in the in the Rittenhouse case. And the question is, how many other people have the courage of that judge to stand up against basically mob violence? Okay, Dr. Jones, any final thoughts? How? What are the prospects of um, for us for 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 unvaccinated and and uh, well, at, at this point yeah. at this point I have to say that the prospects are better for us in the United States than they are for you in Slovenia. It looks that way. 
there's resistance here. I, I know there are people on the streets in Europe. I've seen the demonstrations. But again, you, you're, you're talking about people who do not act out of their own free will. They do not have the comp. They're not acting for the good of the people. They are agents of the oligarchs who see their job as imposing oligarchic rule on subject people. That's the situation in Germany. Uh, and, and I think that the Germans, because they have hegemony over the European Union, are going to try to impose that on everyone else over there. Yeah, I, I agree. You, uh, in Slovenia, there there were some. Uh, there there are always this uh, this uh, people protesting and so forth. But I, I firmly believe, although I could be wrong, that all these people are basically bought from the government, becoming money from the glo from the globalists to protest as if um, as to as to show people how exotic it is to protest because it, in Slovenia uh, um, the protests uh, the first year from corona and and and, and uh, have been uh, were made by by this leftist weirdos uh, pro progressives um, um, basically uh, driving their their bicycles and and uh, so when a normal person see, sees this weirdos, uh, um, thinks, okay, this is not for me, protesting is not for me, maybe it's better to listen to government. Government sounds more reasonable than this weird, uh, leftist weirdos. Uh, ergo, we, we're going to uh, get vaccinated. I, I firmly believe that this works this, this, this way. And even in this year, some new characters, some new... Uh, some new people uh, that, are, that are supposedly organizers of, of the protests um, have um, have been promoted, and even these people seem to be so they seem to be fake. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I, I'm not sure. Well, it's that's certainly not achieving anything. That's been the CIA uh, playbook ever since Tehran in 1953. I think the most recent example, if you followed it, was the Solomon Islands. Did you know there was a coup in the Solomon Islands? Uh, and basically, uh, I thought, oh, wait a minute, what's that all about? Well, it turns out that the government of the Solomon Islands recognized China over Taiwan, and this antagonized the United States, and they got their proxy warriors, namely the Australians, to go in and invade the country. But it began with a protest. And wait a minute, what do I see in the protest there in the Solomon Islands? The Israeli flag. Uh, it was orchestrated by Christian Zionists. It's obvious, okay? So obviously that's a problem. Obviously a problem. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, this is the one last question I wanted to ask you. I saw a documentary about... about, um, about this is in the context of asking you uh, about how to deal with people that that would, that would listen to you and say something like not all elves uh, or how can you stereotype like this not all elves are are doing this not all elves think, think like this and um, so i watched this documentary about the the soccer club called Beitar Jerusalem from Jerusalem 
that was supposedly uh, a, a most nationalistic, uh, racist Israel club in Israel, uh, um, a Jewish club in Israel. Uh, uh, they they never they are like hundred years old. Never had any Muslims in their uh, as their players, and uh, their supposed fan is Bibi Netanyahu. Uh, and in 2012, they suddenly became two Muslim players to their teams, and the, the fans went mad and tried to to make some mess, and nothing basically happened. Although Bibi Netanyahu was uh, in charge of Israel uh, back then, and in 2018. Uh, a Muslim, a Muslim prince or something, bought their most nationalistic and racist club, and Bibi Netanyahu didn't do anything. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, uh, are they trying to antagonize their own people too, or they just don't I, mind? I have or is this also? Yeah, I have, I have a better, better example. Uh, let's go back to Pfizer. Pfizer is run by a Jew. Uh, the Israelis, uh, if this if this vaccine is what I'm saying, is it's biowarfare, does this mean the Jews, uh, Borla, is waging biological warfare against the Israelis? Is that what's going on here? It could be. It wouldn't be the first time that big Jews have offered up little Jews on the altar of the Jewish people. The Levon affair is one example where the Jews actually, Israelis actually murdered uh, uh, other Jews to drive, spread panic through the population so that it would emigrate to Israel. It's, it's distinctly possible. You have to make a distinction between the Jewish people and individual Jews. The Jewish people is a political entity that operates according to principles of big and powerful Jews who then use uh, other Jews, little Jews, they terrorize them into being uh, human shields and proxy warriors for their agenda. So uh, just because you can find one Jew who believes X or Y doesn't mean that the Jewish people will are go, uh, it, that he has any control over the people who speak in his name. That's clear. Uh, uh, Norman Finkelstein talked about the Holocaust payments. Uh, who do they? Who benefits from the Holocaust payments? His parents were in a camp. They never got a nickel, as far as I know. Uh, and all that money went to uh, fund the agenda, the the shakedown of uh, the German people for the benefit of the big Jews who run the organizations and keep this industry in motion. So it's basically secular ethnic rich Jews. Could we I, say? I, I think if you're talking about, I'm, I, I like to say big Jews and little Jews. That's what I like to say. I mean, whether they're secular or not, secularism is a code word for people who are afraid to say the word Jew, I think. I think all Jews are in rebellion against Logos in one way or the other, uh, including the Orthodox Jews who follow the Talmud. But as I said, when I was in, I was in Iran, uh, they had a rabbi there from Netter Ikarta. I said, look, if all Jews were like uh, Rabbi David here, uh, we wouldn't have a problem because those Jews are content to live off in, the, in their ghettos and just be what they want to be all by themselves. That's not the way the Jewish people act in America. 
If you let them in, they take over. They took over our foreign policy. Uh, uh, they are running the country in their interest and not the interest of American people. That's got to stop. It's going to stop one way or the other. I'm trying to have some type of peaceful solution. If they keep pressing this agenda, uh, there will be violence. A peaceful solution in some sense, like what just happened with Santa Inc., where the people simply rejected this assault on Christmas by exposing the people who are behind it. That's the type of thing that should be happening. YouTube should be happy to provide a platform for that. But if they don't, that, that's their problem. This consciousness is not going to go backwards. Do you think an actor, this is a call for speculation, but it's, it's funny and I have to ask you, do you think an actor like Seth Rogen, do you think he's aware of what just happened to him after that tweet and after this show or is he just a, a dumb motherfucker that that still believes even after that believes that he that all these people that that tried to tell him the truth are basically white supremacists well that's look as soon as you say white supremacist i my inclination is to say you're lying to yourself Because you you produced a crappy movie that everybody hates and everybody understood exactly what you were doing and you were caught red-handed doing it and now you're trying to escape by blaming it on some type of imaginary group of people. So yeah, I think Seth Rogen knows what happened and he's got to lie to you uh, to let himself off the hook. Okay, Dr. Jones, thank you very much. For your time for your for your sincerity and for your for your intelligence and for your intelligent uh, commentaries i hope we we will meet again sooner than we uh, we did uh, now it's been too too many too much time uh, <clears throat> and um, i have to thank all the the the, um, the viewers for all the commentaries uh, Thank you very much to all, and uh, good night for Europeans and Slovenes, and uh, good evening for, for Americans to America. Thank you. Thank you, Alice. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure for me. Thank you.